0: And frankly at the at the risk of sounding a little bit elitist, people outside of endurance sports don't get it. No they don't, they don't get that. You Not. know, if if you see like a like a commercial and it's like, Oh, somebody's sacrificing so much, they're getting up early in order to go to the gym, it shows him hitting the alarm clock at like six thirty. It's so, like, Are you kidding me? I know. We're done by six thirty, yeah. Man. I mean and so so yeah, it's just and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden and Patrick Olinger. Uh, we are endurance athletes and coaches here in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, as you hopefully know by now, we discuss issues of interest to the national, international, and of course local endurance community. Thanks for being with us. Patrick, welcome back. Good to be here, George. How's your new year? New year's been good. It's been a little frigid so far. Uh, yeah, actually, it's 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 important that you say that not only because it ties into the first couple of things we're going to talk about, but it's it's worth mentioning at the outset here that Patrick just finished a two-hour run in what sub twenty-degree temperatures. Correct. Uh, so if Patrick says something that doesn't make sense or or just kind of
1: passes out halfway through the uh, through the podcast. That's why. Yeah. Um, Glad uh, to know I have that excuse for this podcast. That's right. We'll have to right. figure out how I can explain all my yeah. other slip-ups, the other podcasts. Yeah, no kidding.
0: Yeah, I don't have the built-in excuse, and so <laughs> we'll see. Um, uh, how are your
1: New Year's resolutions going, man? Going good so far. Uh, right now, it's just building up the base so I can you know hit the goals at the end of the year. So right now, it's all process-oriented. Right how about right. you? Have you avoided eating while standing up? Dude, that is like the hardest
0: New Year's resolution of all time. <laughs> Like, if I would have known how hard it was going to be, I would not have resolved that. I would have chosen something else. I, and, but th- at the same time, it's a really good one mm-hmm. because I didn't realize how much I ate standing up or how often I ate standing up yeah. until I said, okay, I'm going to try not to. And here I am now trying not to. And, and literally every single day. I have eaten standing up. I'm like, damn it. Every, every day something happens. <laughs> like, like, like before dinner, I'll reach into the, the refrigerator and I'll pull out like a handful of baby carrots and I'll just kind of stand there eating them. And I'm like, oh, no, this is against the resolution. I mean, and yeah, it's baby carrots. And so I cut myself a little bit of slack. Um, but, you know, you, you get something out of the pantry and you walk to the table carrying it and you start eating it on your way. I mean, that's, you know. Um, I'll be sitting at breakfast with my sons and one of them will ask me to get something for him and I'm like eating a bagel. And so I'll stand up and I'll keep on eating the bagel while I'm getting what I'm getting for him. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so, yeah, anyway... Folks don't need to hear any more about that, but but dude, I had
1: no idea it was going to be this hard. I, that sounds like a great New Year's resolution. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 so first of all, I now expect to be like at a Super Bowl party and be like, "Where's George?" And you'll just be like sitting in a corner, exactly. Eating yeah, yeah baby with, with, spice, so. Exactly.
0: With, with, with my handful of <laughs> chips, from, you know. You, you can imagine me like going to the table to get something to eat, and somebody starts talking to me. I'm like, "No, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm trying to eat right now, and I can't stand here and well, eat well, while talking to well, you." Let's sit um, on the floor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I said, I mean it. It is, I mean, to the degree that that you're trying to be more mindful and that you're trying to be more aware, and that's sort of like the the, the subtext, hopefully, of any like diet mm-hmm. resolution. You know, yeah. I mean, to the degree that that's the goal, it's definitely accomplished that because because there's definitely I'm definitely paying more attention to what it is that I'm eating now, at least if I'm standing up while eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, so that's been good. It's been good, but but yeah, like I said, I mean, literally, we're on the 14th day of the year, and there has not been a single day when I haven't, like, oh, my God, a meeting is standing I mean, you know. You slipped up somewhere. Oh, kind of like, yeah, very much. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, I hope everybody else's uh, New Year's resolutions are going better than mine or that you're sticking to them better than I am or, or you know, that you are, you are uh, getting what it is that you want from them. Uh, let's talk about a little bit of news and research, as we often do here. Um, I uh, wanted to point out a piece of news. I, I, I like to sometimes talk about people that you might not have heard of otherwise but perhaps should be on your radar. Um, people like Amanda Corker, um, that I talked about a few times last year, but, uh, a name that, that you should know, um, is Yuki Kawauchi, um, and Yuki Kawauchi is a Japanese runner, uh, and Yuki Kawauchi on New Year's Day, uh, in Marshville, uh, Marshfield, Massachusetts, uh, won the Marshfield New Year's Day Marathon in two eighteen fifty nine. Now, it's a good time. It's a, Olympic trials qualifying time by one second, as a matter of fact, here in the United States, but he's from Japan. Um, because it was New Year's Day, it was actually the leading marathon time in the world for mm-hmm. you know a little while. Uh, Houston is today, and I imagine the, the winner of Houston probably ran a little bit faster here. Um, it was a course record by 30 minutes. Fantastic, really good. Um, there were sub-freezing temperatures, um, and there was a wind chill that took things down to negative 23 Celsius. Um, So Fahrenheit, well, that's like negative 50 Fahrenheit or something. Um, And so it's just freezing, freezing cold, and he still runs 218.59. And so by all means, that deserves a great deal of attention. Um, But the reason why Yuki Kawauchi is uh, getting a shout-out on our podcast here is because in running 218.59 at the Marshfield New Year's Day Marathon in those freezing temperatures, um, he became the new world record holder of sub-220 marathons. Um, this was not the 1st, the 10th, the 20th, the 50th time he had run under sub 220 for a marathon, but the 76th time he had run under 220 for a marathon. Um, now to put that in context just a little bit, that's 520 per mile. That means 5K, that's 1635 for 5K. And so if you were to go out to your local 5K in regular conditions, it would probably be 1 in somebody running about 1635. And so these folks on New Year's Day in Marshall, Massachusetts, went out to their local marathon in horrible conditions, negative 23 Celsius conditions. (laughs) um, And this guy shows up and runs sub-520 pace, in 16.35 per 5K for 42.2K. So, yeah, incredible. Um, 220 is a barrier that a lot of um, almost elite runners, almost top runners try and run. Um, um, It's kind of like 30 minutes in, in the 10K, something like that. Um, and so, so, for him to have done it 76 times is kind of incredible. Yes, um, it is. He's, he's, and it's funny. We, we think about people who are fast and people who run a lot of marathons. He runs a lot of them, and he runs them fast. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, just incredible. Amazing. Um, worth saying, too, speaking of him being fast... He now holds the record not only for sub-220s, but he also holds the records for sub-219s, sub-218s, sub-217s, sub-216s, 215s, 214s, 313s, and 212s. He's actually run under 212, which is about 502 pace, so just barely over 5-minute pace per mile for 26.2 miles. He's run under 212 25 times.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. And he's not... Yeah. He's... He's... He's clearly he's not a super old guy, obviously, but he's not terribly young. He's in his early thirties. I couldn't quite find his age there, um, but yeah, incredible. Um, you know, compare this to some of the greatest runners of all time, uh, Haile geber Gebrselassie, who I consider to be one of the greatest runners of all time. Has run under 212 12 times. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, ten of those are sub two oh sevens, but but still, to to have run under under 212 25 times and to have run under two twenty seventy six times. Um, this is a pretty amazing runner, as a matter of fact. So, um, somebody that definitely deserves to be on your radar. Um,
1: what do you think? Absolutely. So, my first takeaway is um, I think it makes sense that uh, a Japanese runner were to accomplish this because, for those of you who don't know, in Japan, long-distance running is almost like our basketball. Mm-hmm. It's kind of their second major sport. It, it is their second um, major sport, yeah. Number one being baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, Hence, Mizuno being baseball, softball, mm-hmm. running apparel. In, in terms of participation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that made a lot of sense, and then I thought the interesting part of this is his age. I mean, how many did he have to do in a year? And then you know, how can you stay this healthy for this long? Yeah. The the older the I think that's a good point. One thing you might be able to appreciate: the older I get, the more I appreciate athletes in all sports who have longevity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the the one who can kind of survive and, and sustain that career to me is more and more impressive. Holy crap! I, I just older. looked
0: it up. The dude is 30. Wow. <laughs> what? He was born on March 5th, 1987. I
1: looked it up while you were talking about it. He's 30 years old.
0: Jeez. What? <laughs> he's going he's gonna to 30, be 31 in two months.
1: So if he started at like 21, that's still like three a year so. Or no, that's what, or, no, uh, that he, what am I saying? Yeah, it's no, like if he started at age year. six,
0: it'd be, it'd be, it'd be yeah. three a year. Yeah. If, 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 he, if, he, if he ran his first one at age 18, let's just kind of just say he started super young, and, and ran sub-220... Mm-hmm. Right, I mean. So let's say he ran sub two twenty as an eighteen year old, which is a pretty tall order, which I can't imagine he did. That means he has twelve years worth of doing that, and so that means he's done five, six, six and a half marathons sub two twenty since he was eighteen, Jeez. on average. Yeah, that's just what. We do not recommend that for anybody's <laughs> yeah, New Year's no. resolution.
1: We stick Maybe. to the one or two marathons a year plan here at yeah. ITL. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah.
0: You know, and 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 of course. So, so one could probably use him to argue, oh, well, you know, this guy, you know, Yuki Kawauchi runs all these marathons. He runs sub 220. Da, da, da. Okay, so the counter argument to that is is how fast would he run if he didn't run so many a year, right? Right. Um, you know, he's running Boston in a few weeks. He'll be there in Boston with you. And, mm-hmm. and he said this was a training run or a, or a, a tune-up race for Boston. Uh, he does, you know, marathons as tune-up runs. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, just incredible thing here. What else you have to say, buddy? You were starting to say something else and I interrupted you.
1: Uh, I think that was it. Mostly just, you know, the, the age and then how many had to do per year and then how do you recover from that is, you know, and then what's kind of his secret sauce. And oftentimes the secret sauce is something genetic or something, you know, synthetic. Yeah. Synthetic. Uh, Not that we're accusing him of anything. Yeah. Don't, Um, don't, don't don't get twisted. So I just, I, I would be fascinating to know what allows him to recover that quickly.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely superhuman. Now on the not so superhuman side, um, and he, it, it got warmer as, as the race went on. He actually ran a two-minute negative split. He was over 220 pace at the halfway, and then it's a two-loop course, and then he ran the second loop two minutes faster than he ran the first in order to get that 218.59, just, you know, incredible. Um, but he said, uh, they quoted him afterwards, he said, At five kilometers, I was already all alone and so cold that I couldn't move my legs. When I saw my five-kilometer split, it was the first time in a race I've ever thought, Why am I doing this?
1: <laughs> we can we can all i can, i i can't identify with the 220 part i can identify with the what the heck am i doing out here yeah absolutely right. not that i was thinking that this morning or anything but. <laughs>
0: and he was running that face in a colder than you were running this morning just incredible yeah he, he ran with long pants on obviously he said it's the first time he'd ever raced with long pants on so it's the first one of those two sub so his knees were covered were, so his knee damn right his knees were covered <laughs> he, uh, he kept him covered yeah yeah um for those who don't recognize the reference, I, I, I am very adamant that the, uh, that the knees be covered uh, when the temperature is under about 60 degrees for anyone during the warm-ups uh, for a track workout. Um, it's not as important for easy runs, but, but certainly, yeah, good thing he kept them covered, man. Uh, he said that uh, that he ma- he managed the, the cold okay, except for it finished on a high school track because it's the local marathon. They actually had it certified and because because he said, hey, I'm going to be there, and so they like scrambled and got it certified real quick so it would count, which is cool. Maybe we should um, measure this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if this guy's going to be trying to run a record here. Maybe, maybe we've got to you know do it. Um, but he but he finished on the high school track, and he said he was rounding the last curve. Like you know, 100
1: meters to go, and he almost slipped on the ice. <laughs> Gosh.
0: That would have been a
1: real. I could also place. see somebody like that showing up to that race, and had he not told them, they'd be like, "All right, we'll show up at like 10 o'clock." Yeah, right. We're not I gonna know. have anybody in there three hours. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they, they, they would. Have, yeah, <laughs>
0: nothing would have been set up. Like the 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 course wouldn't have even been set up by the time he arrived there. Yeah, for sure. Very good. Well, that ties into actually your piece of research, so we're, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to skip your news and come back to it. And tell us about your research, brother.
1: Sure. So this is a pretty timely research. So according to a study published in May of 2017 in the American Journal of Human Biology, exercising at colder temperature burns more calories than exercising in warmer temperatures. That same intensity, same duration. Um, the study looked at individuals who hiked in temperatures ranging from 15 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit And then, versus those who hiked in temperatures in the mid 50s, and it was found that the hikers burned roughly 20 to 25 percent more calories when exercising in the colder temperatures versus the warming ones. And that's
0: that's not even all that warm. They're comparing it to. They're comparing it to like 50s. Right, right, right.
1: So I, this to me is most of my favorite studies um, are studies that almost put a scientific framework around things that I already know or kind of know. Mm-hmm. Right, I think Things most you suspected. Right, yeah, because I think most people who have ever you know run in temperatures like this, you 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 know that you're familiar with that feeling where you get done with the run and you're like, man, I could really go for a cheeseburger right now. Right? I am really hungry, more so than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of tells you why. I mean, they just to give you some numbers um, in this specific study, the calories burn went from about three thousand to about thirty four hundred or so. Um, wow. Or excuse me, that's not correct, thirty six hundred. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, one thing they did note is that this does not really help you with weight loss necessarily. You shouldn't say, like, all right, my New Year's resolution is to lose this much weight, so I'm going to exercise in the cold, because then you do need to eat more to replenish that, those right. calories. But it is a great piece of insight for folks who are training for marathons, who are training for races in the cold so that you know, especially for long runs specifically and maybe longer tempos and longer medium right. long runs, you know, okay, I'm gonna to have to kind of budget.
0: Or cycling.
1: Yes, um, that's another yeah, good one.
0: You know, it's it's um, so I have I have an athlete that I coach who's who's a cyclist and, and he did a four hour ride yesterday in fourteen degrees. Um, and his bottles all froze. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've had that phenomenon as well before. You can stop at a convenience store and stick them in the microwave, you know, and, mm-hmm. and thaw them back out again. He was in an area, he lives in an area where there's not a whole lot of convenience stores with microwaves. And so he just ended up kind of under fueling for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that four hour ride ended up taking a, lo- a whole lot more out of him than he thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because because he uh, wasn't able to fuel, but also because he was burning more calories than he, he might have thought he was, you know. I think it's important to keep in mind too. With so so many of us, particularly people on bikes, we tend to get all of our calories from liquid, Mm -hmm. and so it's freezing cold. And hey, your bottles might freeze, like I was just saying. But but you're also just not really thirsty, right? You know, and so so you're not really all that thirsty. So you don't drink the calories you're supposed to drink, and and then you end up having a really rough last half of your bike ride because (laughs) all those calories are gone. Right. right? You you're you're burning more calories and you're taking in far fewer because you're you're not drinking the way that you're taking in the calories that you
1: should be. Um yeah, and the same with gels too. I noticed that this morning I was less likely to or I had to almost force the gels down yeah because they it's like a frozen block. Yeah, and they're thicker and different. Yeah. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's 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 no fun at all.
1: So, just something to keep in mind when you're training in yeah. this uh you know, cold weather, yeah, which we're not used to here in Atlanta. Or
0: if you're racing in it, you know, there was a, there was a half marathon that a lot of people did mm-hmm. around here called the the Red Nose Half Marathon last weekend, and it wasn't that cold, but it was it was sub freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to think about those longer races, um, they're going to take more out of you. They're 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 going to be tougher on your system and, and require greater uh, greater caloric. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to have greater caloric requirements um, if if you're trying to do those races. You know? mm-hmm. Um, I was telling somebody who who did that race last week that you know trying to race and trying to run in in high temperatures gets a lot of attention, as it should, you know. And 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 okay, so it's hot and this really you know throws off your performance and it reduces your performance by by this percentage and da 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 da. Um, racing and cold stuff really throws it off too. Yeah. But as as that research demonstrates, um, but it just just—it's uh, I don't know if it's not as sexy or just...
1: <laughs> I think it's because we don't have that many major races in Supreme Cold. Yeah. And yeah. so we think... Like the Boston Marathon, it could be good weather or hot weather. Mm-hmm. its We don't really have never had sub-30 weather for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not really on our radar. Mm-hmm. But then even like long runs, mm-hmm. which are kind of... In my opinion, are kind of getting a little closer to a race than mm-hmm. a, a training run. Mm-hmm. You start to notice like, wow, I really need to layer up differently. Mm-hmm. I need to... I think about fueling much more specifically than usual. Yeah. So it's definitely interesting to think about. And as you said, it doesn't receive much attention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, good. Important research. Um, I want to share a, a different piece of research. Um, uh, you know, I think any of us who have spent any time around endurance athletics, particularly in triathlon, but it's true not only for running, but also, but, but particularly for triathlon have noticed that it's kind of a white collar sport mm-hmm. um, that, that, um, endurance races tend to attract white-collar workers, and there's actually some, some, some data behind that. Um, according to USA tri- Triathlon, USAT, uh, the average salary of a triathlete is $126,000 a year, yeah. um, which is significant. Um, that's well above middle class. Um, 80% of the people, according to USAT, who do triathlons, who get licensed to do a triathlon, um, are, are white-collar workers or their students. Um, even runners and you know runners you know this primal sport seventy five percent of of runners earn more than fifty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. um, and so so seventy five percent of them are middle class and above um, and so so it does tend to attract people who who make more money than average who are middle class and up uh, upper middle class and, and, and upper class um, there 's a few different reasons for this um, um, I think one of the reasons uh, in triathlon. Um, particularly, is, is how much money it actually takes to compete. Um, there was one study that sh- showed that, that it takes about $1,600 to run a marathon mm-hmm. in terms of doctor's visits and shoes and getting to the race and clothing and all that sort of thing. So $1,600 to, to, to throw down a marathon. Um, for some folks, that's not a whole lot. But but for most Americans, $1,600, if you said, hey, $1,600, give it to me right now, I don't know that I could produce that, you know? Right. Um, Especially those kids. Um, yeah. Um, it's even worse in triathlon because in triathlon it costs sixteen hundred dollars just to buy the bike. <laughs> yeah, you know, and to say nothing of all the rest of the equipment and everything else. And mm-hmm. so, so the equipment is is a big thing. I've always submitted that one of the reasons why the the most competitive age group in triathlon is thirty five to thirty nine is because people are old enough to to buy the equipment. Um, they've been you know, gathering it over the course of the year um, it's also because they have predictable jobs um, you know, white collar jobs you know, not all 9 to 5 but they tend to follow a general schedule they don't tend to get called in in the middle of the night necessarily or um, they're not at, at somebody else's whims um, where they live um, where we live, um, um, people in low income neighborhoods are about four and a half times less likely to have recreational facilities pools gyms tennis courts than high income neighborhoods mm-hmm. um, and, and obviously that has a long term influence on on who's taken taken part um, there's also a belief um, and this is more theoretical than than has been researched um, that that white collar workers might enjoy endurance sports more because it gives them the opportunity to pursue a clear and measurable goal um, with a direct line back to the work that they actually put in to accomplish that goal and this is one thing that i've always said about about running um, that i really appreciate is that that the amount that you improve or your performance is directly related to the amount that you work Um, and if you get out on a track you can see exactly how much you've improved and you can even compare that improvement to people across space and time yeah. um and and in a knowledge economy um when when there's not always this real black and white metric by which you can measure um whether You've improved, I think that that's very alluring. Uh, but anyway, back to this one piece of research. This one piece of research that I did want to mention here uh, came out in the Journal of Consumer Research um, about a year ago. It's a little bit older. Uh, they interviewed 26 people um, who took place in tough mutter competitions, those obstacle races. Um, and they also read a whole lot of forums as well. And the one most common theme that emerged through all of the research was the pursuit of pain. Um, all the people that were doing it were looking to hurt. Somehow they were looking for some sort of pain and they talked about how pain was good and pain was, was the object and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a, a an online, not race, but event next, uh, next month called the Tour of Sufferlandria and it's put together by that cycling online forum called Sufferfest. And they totally fetishize suffering and yes. pain and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's so, almost biblical. Yeah. And so, so this kind of, kind of like what you were talking about with, with research sort of you know, explaining or articulating something that you knew already. Um, this, the, the researchers kind of coming to the end of it, summing things up, said, quote, uh, "...when leaving marks and wounds, pain helps consumers create the story of a fulfilled life." In a context of decreased physicality, races play a major role in selling pain to the saturated cells of knowledge workers who use pain as a way to simultaneously escape reflexivity and craft their life narrative, Uh, unquote. Uh, Reflexivity is basically, um, if you have low reflexivity, it's a sociological idea. Um, it, it, It basically suggests you don't have a lot of control over your life. And so, so, people in forcing pain upon themselves and potentially getting scarred in the process are basically taking control of their life uh, and defining themselves rather than being defined by their circumstances.
1: What do you think? <laughs> I, yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Okay, so first of all, the, the, the fetish I love how you said it. it's like a fetish, they fetishize uh, uh, like pain and suffering. Yeah. Because I don't think it's the pain and suffering that people love. I think that's what we say, what I think we're really searching for is that locus of control, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Because...
0: Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what they suggest. But right, sure
1: and, that's, and, and, the, and the kind of no pain, no gain, I like to push myself to the limit, that's almost like... It's a means to an end. Yeah, mm-hmm. that it really is. Or it's like what we say, but what we're really searching for is control. What mm-hmm. we're really searching for is yeah. kind of that feeling of being alive. And, 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 and the ability to define yourself. Right, and the ability you know? to define when I do it versus mm-hmm. somebody else mm-hmm. you know, defining it. Yeah, um, I think it's fascinating that white collar workers feel a, like very much a sense of a lack of control or mm-hmm. lack of um, or like a certain amount of randomness in their life or mm-hmm. uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I think it's very true because like when you work in a big corporation or something mm-hmm. or a big organization, I mean, things just kind of trickle down right. the hierarchy or the bureaucracy, and you don't even know where it's coming from. And so there's kind of that sense of I'm just a, a cog in the in the wheel here. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's also fascinating is you look at long distance running. It's really As primal as it is, it's a pretty new sport. Yeah. Like, honestly, the 2 it kind of follows the path of football in a lot of ways. And then it was like the 60s, it kind of started. It really started to explode in the 70s. And then it really jumped in the 90s. And then kind of took a third jump in Mm -hmm. the social media age.
0: It's it's funny you mentioned football because football actually was created for the same reason, you know. Yeah. Football was created in the late 1800s. Because there was all sorts of, of folks who had come out of the Civil War and stuff, like the, the Civil War generation was looking at their kids and thought that their kids were all soft because right. they hadn't been through a major combat thing. Right. And so we, we need to somehow put them in combat to toughen them up and and make them stronger, and also so they can learn the lessons from, from combat that we all learned. Right. Right? Um, and so, so yeah, it's, football actually kind of, sort of came about for a similar reason, that the That it's like we need to create this thing in order to... Anyway, keep going. So,
1: yeah. So so anyways, um, I don't know if my thoughts are clear, but it's very much... It's interesting. If you look at the increase in endurance athletes and recreational runners, it very much is a reflection of a changing society. As America transformed from a blue-collar to a white-collar society... We kind of feared becoming sedentary. Yeah, yeah that's the right? 70s. That's a running boom, right when that transition's taking place. Right. right. So more people than ever started to take up running and take up jogging. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of see that. You can just kind of keep seeing those jumps. Mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty interesting. And yeah. then it makes you wonder, okay, so then why do I do it? What do I love about it? That kind of a thing. Yeah, no. And I, th- I think, too, it. so in religion they say that, like in religious studies, mm-hmm. people go to church in a way that's different than the person that they have to be the other six days a week. Okay. Okay. So, like, for example, in, like, low-income neighborhoods, they like to dress in suits when they go to church because they can't dress in suits six days a week. They have mm-hmm. to wear the more, like, um, you know, they can't dress that mm-hmm. nice. Then you go to the church of people who are like Coca-Cola executives. Yeah, yeah. They're dressed in like jeans uh, and they're like, oh, let's keep it casual because they have
0: to wear suits six days a week. Yeah, so like the like the suburban mega church. Yes. Where 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 they're like, oh, we're church for people who don't do church, and they all like wear jeans and stuff,
1: right? Ah, uh, And yes. that, that might
0: be because they have to wear suits five days a week already, right? right. Then yeah, you look okay. at like the
1: civil rights movement, Dr. King. They're marching in like three-piece suits yeah. and tweety suits. Yeah. Um, so I almost wonder if it's kind of related in some way. I'm not really being very articulate, but you can kind of see something forming.
0: Yeah. I, well, I, I, well, I think, I think that's an interesting phenomenon in and of itself, whether it's related or not, but, but yeah, I, I, am still kind of, this is probably going to be another one we come back to later, but, but I, I still kind of that, that idea of, of exerting control. Yeah. And so, so I, and that's, I guess that that's, that's how it ties back. Right. And so you get, you can control where you go to church. Right. You know. Okay. So so there's all sorts of other things and you can control what you're going to wear when you go to church. Right? right. Sunday is my day off when I do not have to go to work or else my life is going to collapse. I want to go to church on that day, but I want to go to church on my terms. Right. You know. Right. And so so I I think seeking to find control. I do think that's an interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that's that's yeah. I do think there's some some stuff there. I mean, so last year I got a tattoo. Oh. Um, and It's just a little small one and it's on my arm, but my, my reason for getting it, and, and it's two stick figures holding hands, you know, representing my twin sons, um, and, and I like it, but the, my reasoning for it was that I had been run over by a car in 2015 and I was all scarred up, mm-hmm. and, and I still am. You know, I still have scars on my face and on my arm. I have a big one on my knee, and I see them all the time. I see them when I look in the mirror. I see them when I'm, when I'm doing crunches and my knees are up in my face. You know, I, I'm constantly being forced to look at them, and I'm being reminded of, of a really bad time in my life. And I was like, I'm going to put a mark on my body that I want to be there, mm-hmm. and that represents something positive. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I put it in a very inconspicuous place. Right. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't but, get the like cheek tattoo. Yeah. yeah know. No. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get the, the neck tattoo <laughs> that says, you know, "You know, make good choices." Um, but but um, but that was but that was me kind of doing the same sort of thing in a different arena of course through body art you know uh-huh. um but yeah i just think it's sort of a fascinating idea um and then so 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 the means to an end of getting that is by forcing ourselves to go through this pain mm-hmm. yeah um i'm different i'm choosing to paint to, to to go through pain yeah, yeah. or someone it this most pleasant exhaustion hey um and so that kind of ties into your news i think doesn't it
1: yeah, so my news was—it's uh, an article that was published in Bloomberg this week. It's titled "Why Brooks Needs Runners Who Hate to Run." <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you have me at that title. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of a clickbaity title, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I was kind of halfway expecting it to like be terrible, but it ended up being pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the article, it was pretty interesting because the here's well, the I believe it was the CEO of Brooks came out and said it was. You know, we need runners who are not runners, or the, runners aren't athletes, is what I believe what he said. Yeah, he said, he said so he's, he's being interviewed by
0: the interviewer who run, who's been running for years and years, and, and runs several times a
1: week, and runs when she's on vacation and stuff, and he says to her, you're not a runner. That's what it was. <laughs> um, and it just opens up this fascinating question of what is a runner, mm-hmm. right? And when I read that, I have to be honest with you, I was like, this guy... Is way off. Mm -hmm. Because to me, anybody who runs, whether they put on brook shoes or no shoes, is a runner. Right. I mean, it's... I mean, I I don't even know how to define it other than do you find yourself running when there's not something chasing you? (laughs) Ergo, you're a runner. Then you're a runner. I mean, and it, it... it gets back to kind of our, a bit of our last discussion, I and mean, people run for different reasons. Some people run because they're obsessed with like the improvement, mm-hmm. the like the PRs. Mm-hmm. Some people need the escapism. Mm-hmm. Some people need to push themselves. Some people need uh, kind of a moment to themselves. If maybe they're a bit more introverted, and they like, we just need a moment where I'm not on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter all at the same time. For sure. Um, some people love just to have that arena where they can kind of. Push themselves, get to know themselves, and kind of, you know, test different parts of the psyche that they didn't even know that they had before they, you know, started this challenge. Right on. So I just thought it was a fascinating experience. And what I was most proud of was this article came out, and then there were probably 10 other articles that were like, this guy's wrong, this guy's wrong. Like, it was like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it
0: caused a pretty big splash in the running. I mean, he might as
1: well have just taken a raw piece of meat and (laughs) thrown it into a pack of dogs. It was like, this is.
0: Well, I mean, the, the, the thing about it is, so, so the, what, the, what the larger Bloomberg article about was basically about how Brooks, 20 years ago, was on the verge of bankruptcy, and so they got rid of all their football cleats, they got rid of all their tennis shoes, and they mm-hmm. said, okay, we're only going to make good running shoes. Yes. Um, and and we're going to market those for people who consider themselves runners and who run a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, they become a $500 million company. Mm-hmm. And 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 so by by sort of focusing on that market and, and by focusing everything they did, uh, I mean by sponsoring runners and stuff like that, they became this this huge company. Now they're saying we want to become a billion dollar company, kind of by going back to the thing that failed us before. We yeah. want to we want to start marketing shoes to the masses who who um, the people who finish in the back half of the marathon. Um, most of them wear Nike, Adidas, New Balance, and Asics. Um, we want to try and, and mark ourselves to those people, and it's like, and and yeah, I don't I don't understand why he would say running is not a sport and you're not really a runner. Hey, buy our shoes. Yeah, it's like I don't th- those two things seem to be a little bit contrary to me. He should it, it's, if anything he should be he should be promoting what I believe, and that's a that's a more inclusive view of who's a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, like what you just said, if you're a runner, if you find yourself running and there's nobody chasing you, mm-hmm. you're a runner. Right. Um, you would think that if he's trying to sell more shoes to, to people in the middle of the pack and the back of the pack, he would be saying, "You're all runners, and you all deserve really good shoes. Buy Brooks." Right. You know, right. Like, uh-huh. um, so I'm not real sure what he, what he's thinking there, um, but I think it, I mean I used to um, I used to back in the day be really insistent that I was a runner, not a jogger. Mm-hmm. Um, people would, and I still suppose I would be. It just just this doesn't happen anymore. People would come up to me and say. Uh, do you still jog? No. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I've never jogged. I run. Uh, yeah. Um, and and I kind of over time got to a place where I'm like, whatever you want to call yourself, I'm okay with that. And I'm willing yeah. to call you that. Yeah. Um, that, that if somebody wants to say I'm a runner, if you run, yeah, that's great. Even mm-hmm. if you don't really run all that much, I'm, I'm I'm okay with it. You know, I don't feel like it needs to be an exclusive club.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I think it's interesting too because... You know, I'm sure you've had experience. where People will say, "Oh, I'm not a real runner," and it's like, mm-hmm. "Come on, stop yeah. it!" Like, yeah. what does that I, mean? I, I did a whole and, podcast on it last. I year. mean, com, compa- <laughs> yeah, but like, compared to like, it didn't matter who you. One thing you learn in running is there's always a faster no, fish. Yeah. Like, compared to that guy we discussed, the Japanese runner we just discussed, right. I'm not a real runner. You're not a real runner. Right. But like, wh- what, where does that get anybody? Right. You know.
0: Right. So. No, I totally agree. I, you know, it's it's. Um, um, yuki kawauchi was his name by the way i am going to say it many many times because i want people to remember it um but no i totally agree and that's like i said i I recorded a podcast on this very topic last year about enough versus fast versus slow or enough of fast versus slow i think is what i called it um but but there's all these people who don't who don't do things they need to do as runners because they don't consider themselves to be runners because they say they're too slow to be a runner Mm -hmm. um if you're running you're, you're a runner yeah, I, I just don't – the things that are good for Yuki Kawauchi are good for me and you, and they're, and they're mm-hmm. good for, for whoever out there is running, um, whether their goal is to break six hours in the marathon or whether their goal is to break three hours in the marathon. Um, yeah, I have, I have a friend, um, my wife and I have a friend, um, who last weekend ran her first marathon at Walt Disney World.
1: Oh, congrats.
0: Fantastic. So she posted a whole bunch of pictures this week on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and she must have gotten her pictures like yesterday and so she posted a bunch of them yesterday and she kept referring to marathoners as this group of which she's not a part <laughs> uh, like, like, <laughs> like on, the marathoners on, on, did this and yeah, I did yeah, this a, a couple, yeah. on, on, on two different captions she said, she said something to the effect of, of marathoners are amazing people I was so impressed by them yeah, it's like you just ran a marathon. You are one of them. Like literally, right. here's the photographic evidence of you amongst these so-called marathoners because you're one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, she was for whatever reason she hadn't ingested or hadn't embraced that that she's a runner. Um, and I don't know, and, I, and I, I think maybe I'm thinking about that in the context of what this guy said. That it's frustrating to me that that, that he would say, "Oh well, run, you know." Running is... You're not really a runner because you're just not fast enough. The only people that are runners are the pros.
1: Right. So, yeah. so yeah. And, and it's interesting. I mean, and just to give you an idea of how many people run... According to this article, 19 million Americans participate in some kind of organized race. Yeah, Which is more than five times the number of people that play in a basketball league. Right. I mean, and you heard me reference earlier. I said, oh, basketball is the second biggest sport in America. Because right. the NBA is the second biggest mm-hmm. league. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy is, so 19 million people run a race... Some twenty-eight more million people uh, do running of some kind and just don't race. Right, right.
0: So, so I mean, that's know, a lot of people. Yeah. Do the math on that. That's well over ten percent of the population in the United States.
1: And that's like the state of Illinois or something like that.
0: Oh, it's way more than the state of yeah. Illinois. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's incredible. Um, but
0: most of them, according to the Brooks CEO, who's trying to sell shoes to more of them, <laughs> are not actually runners. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Um let's circle back around while we're talking about news and research here to something that we talked about in the last podcast. Um just recall the meta study that Patrick mentioned in the last podcast. Um that basically a meta study you'll recall is a study that, that summarizes a bunch of other studies. Uh and so the study he looked at found also looked at a bunch of different studies about running specifically, and found that the 30 minutes of running um can make somebody more resilient to stress was the actual term from mm-hmm. the article. Um and, and we kind of started discussing it last week, and, and I continued to think about it, and and we had some discussions with other people about it, and I talked to my wife about it, and I, Patrick continued to think about it as well, um, that this is sort of a, a difficult thing because while it can make you more resilient to stress, at the same time, exercise stress um, can actually... Be lumped in inside your body with life stress and can lead to overtraining. Mm -hmm. And so, on the one hand, you can say, "Oh, well, this guy, person has a really stressful life. Their grandmother is sick, and their business is failing, and and their marriage is falling apart. They're super stressed. Let's give them more to do in order to relieve that stress and make them more resilient to it." But in fact, if you have somebody going out and doing, you know, four-hour bike rides on top of all of that stress, um, they're going to get overtrained, even if. The, the physical stuff the physical training they're doing if the rest of their life stress wasn't there they wouldn't overtrain them mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying yes and so, so, so finding that that balance is so hard um, for coaches obviously that means that we have to help our athletes find that kind of balance we have to know about their lives but I just think that's an important thing to keep in mind
1: uh, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I mean it's the Goldilocks principle right not mm-hmm. too much not too little yeah um, you have to find a happy medium Mm-hmm. And you know that's hard for several reasons. One, because sometimes we only see the people when they're flying high and yeah. doing four-hour bike rides and running an hour a day. We only see those posts on Instagram and social media, right? Right. You don't see when they've burned out and a year later, they're like yeah, they're running four months. <laughs>
0: so there I, I, is when, when my wife was training for Race Across America. She 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 collapsed off the bike one time and I took a picture of her
1: and she was like you better not post that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course not. And you're still married so I see that you did not post that. Absolutely.
0: Not. <laughs> oh, of course not. I you care. know, but it's a little
1: bit like I mean this this is kind of a different example, but if you had to see like all the football players that were hurt before the Super Bowl, it would look a lot different than just seeing the 11 guys on the field or all the people that were hurt in the last 20 years of playing or something. For sure. This it's a bit of the same principle where only you only see the survivors that are still running mm-hmm. so to speak. So sometimes I think there's a bit of the imposter syndrome. People think, okay, well, I want to do this. And we kind of end up having a bit of a herd mentality. Mm -hmm. But then individually, I think the big key question that I always ask myself and other athletes is like, is this sustainable? Do you feel like what you're doing is something you can do Mm -hmm. all year? Yeah, Maybe not necessarily when you're in the throes, like when you're six weeks out from a marathon. Mm -hmm. That's when you're kind of like conquering down, Mm -hmm. you know, almost like you're you're just living the life of a marines or something mm-hmm. but for the most Third part mark. right yeah. you're just kind of asking yourself you know can i do this for several years mm-hmm. and if not let's think about what you can do to make it something you feel like you can do yeah for several years that yeah. you have the habits that you can sustain for a while
0: no totally i mean my whenever i have a new athlete i'm working with i'm always like okay we need to find a, a good routine we need to yep. find a good groove um and and stay in it for as long as we can that's physically, but that's also mentally. Mm-hmm. I had an athlete call me up this week um, who trained for Chicago and ran great in Chicago, and now he's getting ready for Boston. And, and he said, all right, I kind of see myself going down the same path, and it really worked well in Chicago, but I it's tiring to think about like all those runs and that kind of thing. Can we try and mix it up and spice it up a little bit? And the answer, of course, is Yes. For mm-hmm. sure, definitely. I mean, if he's starting to feel mentally worn out by it, you know, with still 15 weeks to go to the race. Right, it's, just it's, thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then clearly we need to need to kind of mix that up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's also difficult, you know, in addition to what you just said about how you only tend to see athletes at the good times. And you think, oh, everybody else is doing so well and I'm really struggling. Why is that? And, and um, I think in addition to that, I think one reason why it's so hard is because it's so individualized. Yes, um, and and it 's not even and it 's not even consistent day over day and week over week you know that that um you can suddenly look up and you know your boss gives you something to do and suddenly you 're under a great deal of stress over the course of the next three days mm-hmm. you know and and you had just been cruising along and everything was just fine and then suddenly you get this massive project you have to stay up all night in order to finish it and and then you 're supposed to do a six hour bike ride or a two hour run no now everything's kind of thrown off mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah. um and, and, you know, suddenly, suddenly your spouse gets sick mm-hmm. uh, and they have to go into the, the hospital and, and those stress levels kind of get mm-hmm. thrown off all of a sudden. Absolutely. You know? Um, so I just think that, that it, it is so highly individualized trying to find that balance. Um, now you touched on something else too. You talked about six weeks out from a marathon, six weeks out from an Ironman. There are some times when, when, when. Okay, you need to ride that line and maybe be a little bit out of balance. <laughs> yeah, you know, you need to be and, a little nutters the next yeah. month or two. And, and, and I think that's important to keep in mind too. That 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 there's you know six weeks out from a marathon, six weeks out from an Ironman. You know, my wife for months leading up to Race Across America, a little bit out of balance. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of crying. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that was what was required in order to do what was necessary to 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 compete in that race. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, And then after the race, you try and counterbalance things out cosmically on your job, in your family, financially, everything else like that. You know, you you don't do the exercise, you recover from it physically, but then you also, you know, recover from it in all those other ways too. Uh, But anyway, this idea of balance, um, I just think it's an important idea. Yes. Um, And so, so important thing to kind of keep in mind here. Um, All right. So... The topic of the day here um, is we want to talk a little bit about a about a 2017 retrospective. So, you know, last year I, I looked back on what I thought were the best races of the year, and and I really didn't want to get too far into 2018 without at least taking a moment to sort of reflect back on 2017. Um, now, Patrick and I talked a little bit about what it is we were going to do um, for this, and and because we are individual people, and even though we are similar in many ways, and even though we're we're both runners, both endurance athletes. Um um, we had a hard time deciding what the categories would be. <laughs> I was I was I was like I was like, alright, what was your favorite song in 2017 from your playlist? And and Patrick's like podcast? Have, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Patrick's like, I don't have a playlist. I, I I only run. I'm like, oh yeah. So I don't I mean I never I never listen to music while I run either, only when I'm when I'm outside or when I'm uh cycling inside. So
1: anyway. I think yeah. this is also what happens when you have how many years of academia in you? And then I was in academia for a short amount of time. Like there's almost yeah. a... Six, I've,
0: been in, I've been in academia for six years, well, 14 years. Well, a long time. Uh, eight years of working on the PhD, 60, six years working in academia with the PhD.
1: At a certain point, you just get used to over-engineering stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah, right. yeah.
0: We, we, we have to try and make all this stuff. Yeah, no. So, so what we decided to do <laughs> was we decided that we were going to say, all right, three things. Three just retrospective things from 2017. Let's just talk about, each one of us will talk about three things, just whatever categories you want to talk about. So why don't you kick us off? Sure. Oh, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if I want you to kick us off because you kicked us off last time and you stole my
1: thunder on the uh, on the, the fast finish long run. Nah, no, 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 I'm going to throw caution to the wind here. <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right, so we're just kind of sharing three of our favorite stories with kind of, you know, an, you know, a, a, an endurance athlete bend on, on it. So, my first one, my first story from 2017, it's a bit of a different one. It's, it is people's reaction to Shailene Flanagan winning the New York City Marathon. Uh, I right think hey, that's cool. And it ties in a little bit back to that Bloomberg article I was talking about where, you know, the CEO said, well, you know, nobody remembers who won the Olympic Marathon. That's why running no, isn't really as..." popular." I do, by the way. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> he said that and he's like, nobody remembers who won the Olympic Marathon. Elliot you won the Olympic <laughs> Marathon. So... I loved it. I have been a runner for 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. It is not a sport where, you know, Shannon Flanagan's on the same level uh, as, like, NBA stars, MLB stars, etc. And that still is not the case. Mm -hmm. But I loved seeing people's reaction to her victory and how people shared in that. Yeah. Because as more and more people start running, more and more people find the beauty in running. And they're able to understand, like... This is why she was so emotional when she crossed the finish line. This is what it felt. Yeah. This is what the drama looks and feels like. Particularly
0: women. Particularly yes. uh, 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 women runners in the United States uh, really shared in that victory. And she, to her credit, um, and, and I have an ongoing conversation with several people about how I'm not the biggest Shalane Flanagan fan. It basically boils down to the fact that I don't appreciate that she went to UNC. Um, but, but, uh, but, but I do like Shalane Flanagan, and I think she's cool. And, and to her credit... She she didn't try and say, No, no, no this is my victory. No, no no, I was the one who was running, I was mm-hmm. the one who was training. I mean she she was willing to share that.
1: Yeah, um, it, it felt like a very symbolic victory. It felt like a victory for everybody in the running community mm-hmm. because so often in our sport we enjoyed in our own little, you know, world, our own little sealed off, you know, community. Mm-hmm. But this felt bigger. Mm-hmm. And I I loved that. To me it really kind of was a bit of a, a milestone moment for, for running. Right on. Here, yeah. in, here in America
0: yeah no that's a good one um, and that's not on my list so I don't feel like you're still landing my thunder that's good um, but <laughs> but, uh, but no I agree with you that's a good one and I, I think that's that, that's an important thing to keep in mind in 2017 I think people for, for several years to come will be kind of reflecting back on that and talking mm-hmm. about that um, you know Meb Kofleski won the, the Boston Marathon in 2014 and and that was a win for the ages uh, mm-hmm. it was the year after the bombing first time an American won a long time etc um, and, and it catapulted him to um, to 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 start them right. Um, and so I don't think that that it's going to quite have the same impact on Shalane Flanagan, um, outside of the running community. But I think inside the running community, she's she's getting a lot more attention, um, and she deserves it. Uh, yeah, as a result of that race. So right on. Um, all right. So speaking about great races, um, I decided that that okay if we're going to do like three things, the at least one of them has to be what I consider to be the best race of 2017 or like the best performances of 2017. Um, and I really couldn't decide between two different ones, but both of them are kind of no brainers. Okay. Um, the first one is the no brainer of Eliud Kipchoge, um, at the sub two breaking two project, mm-hmm. um, running two hours and 24 seconds for a marathon. And as I say <laughs> that, like patchy even shakes his head at it. Cause it's such an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, you know, 14.13 per 5K is what they were aiming for. Um, and and he missed that by less than one second per, per, per kilometer. Um, he missed it by about four seconds per, per, uh, per 5K. Mm-hmm. Um, so an incredible performance on his part. Um, uh, a lot was made of the way that Nike contrived the situation in order to have somebody try and break two. Um, um, even so... Uh, even with all the the various contrivances that they put in place, the the pace car, um, the, the the track, the multi loop track, the pacers, which is the re- reason why it was you know um, not record eligible, um, um, all of those things, uh, the shoes. Um, Even with all of those, it was still an outstanding performance. Um, And I submit that I I really think that that all of those things only probably benefited in maybe 90 seconds to two minutes. And so Mm -hmm. it was still a record-setting performance um, um, that day, Um, even though, of course, like I said, it's not record-eligible. So um, I think that's something that will kind of be remembered for ages. Uh, And then the other amazing performance of the year uh, was Patrick Lang at Kona, at the Mm -hmm. uh, Ironman World Championships. Um, Patrick Lang, who set the race, the, the run course record last year, ran 2.39 at the end of the Ironman um, in Kona last year, uh, came back this year um, and won, not only won the race with a brilliant performance on his part, but won what was actually a really fantastic race. Um, the swimmers came out of the water, and the male swimmer um, the, that led out of the water missed the, the swim course record by about 25 seconds. The, the leading woman coming out of the water missed the swim course record by 5 seconds um, then they go out on the bike the, and 3 men uh, beat the bike course record Cameron Worf and, and um, um, Lionel Sanders and Sebastian Keenley all break the, the, the bike course record which has withstood several challenges over the course of the past uh, several years uh, and then they go out on the course and, and Patrick Lang who is like 17 minutes down um, just way, way, way back, because um, uh, he had lost a lot, of, a lot of ground on the bike because they were biking so fast, um, uh, runs everybody down. He comes out of, like, 16th place or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. runs 240 flat um, at the end of an Ironman in very typical, hard, hot Kona conditions, um, catches everybody, in about mile 23 catches Lionel Sanders, the last guy on the run, um, ends up setting the uh, the course record, does 801.40 to set the course record there. Um, so just a, an amazing performance on his part, and like I said, one of the things that will be remembered about
1: 2017. Cool. And his, and his name is Patrick. so. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, if his name was George, you first... he wouldn't be nearly as bad. Oh, <laughs> by... <laughs> well, <when> you first <laughs> said Patrick. I was like, ah, oh, you get to talk about me? <laughs> <laughs> really? You think I have a performance of the year on the level of
0: Jacob the sub two project? Nah. Thanks, George. Uh, uh, there, appreciate it. But
1: that actually transitioned just nicely to, to my second moment. Uh, mine is actually a race that I, that I ran uh, in March, and it was a very different race. So I had a wonderful opportunity. A good friend of mine uh, reached out to me last year and said, hey, I'm taking my church to Israel, and we're doing a two-week right. trip, and I'd love for you to come with us, and we all have a tour guide, so... Essentially, you just pay the money, fly over, boom. And I don't—I'm not really a traveler, so this was exactly what I needed. So we get over there, and we're in Jerusalem. And the the tour guide says, "Hey, everybody, I'm so sorry, I messed up, or we didn't realize they're running the Jerusalem marathon and half marathon on Friday." And this was on this was on Tuesday. He made the announcement Tuesday night. So I'm like, Huh, half marathon, you say." So for the next two days or so, I sent – I made several phone calls, sent several dead-end emails, and essentially just ha- finally had one lucky break and finally was able to register, like, Thursday night. Right I had to take, like, a cab down to this, like, arena.
0: The, the, the tour guide guy who screwed it up, he couldn't do that for you?
1: We tried through him. I registration had already passed, and, like, I don't know – like, I don't know Arabic, so, I mean, I was, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a bit of a, you're trying to call people, and you're like... Or or,
0: or, or or Hebrew, which I <laughs> right. imagine was, was, was um, the language that was probably being used as well.
1: Right, depending and so... On,
0: depending on what side of Jerusalem the race was on.
1: So, anyways, I finally signed up for it, and I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. And I don't have any running gear. So, <laughs> I, I, like, literally running like, a brown t-shirt, gym shorts, and then I did have... So what I do is I'll run in shoes for three or 400 miles, and then I'll retire them from running, and I'll make them my everyday shoes. Uh-huh. So I had just my everyday shoes, which I was using to walk around on these tours. Uh-huh. And so then the morning of the race... Oh, and then when I when I get the bid number, they really just hand me the number at the bottom of the pile. So I'm like, I'm <laughs> in really like 7,800, whatever. Like It's like being in wave like C or D or E in and, and Peachtree. Okay. And so that night... or. So the morning of the race, I wake up early and we figure out they've closed off all the roads. So I have I can't even take an Uber or a cab to a mm-hmm. starting line. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally like wander for and I wrote this down. I wandered for four miles to try to find <laughs> the starting line because so I don't know the language and like I kind of know where it is and like it's like three miles away, three and a half. And I finally find some people in like <laughs> running gear. So I'm like, I'm following them. <laughs> you
0: know. That's the way you find bike races. Yeah, exactly. You you just drive around in the country until you see other people with bikes, and you're like, I'm going to follow those people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Dudes don't just waltz around in bike tights or whatever for a Sunday afternoon stroll. Right. So anyways, I start the race, and like I said, I'm in the I'm I'm like dead last, and- Last wave. Yeah, and the, the, you know, Jerusalem's an old city, and so, Mm -hmm. you know, the roads are very small. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not really much getting around people or anything, so I just, I enjoyed the race- it was absolutely chaotic. To, I actually lose a shoe. I've never actually lost a shoe because I didn't tie it tightly. Because I was so like disoriented trying to find where I was that during okay. the race I literally kicked, <laughs> I was running and literally kicked it off like into a, a side street or something. I had to run off and go get it. And I ended up finishing pretty well, and it just was a fantastic experience. The top five finishers were Ethiopian, Kenyan, uh, Israeli. Kenyan and then me. And so we were at the finish and it none of us knew the same language but we all understood each other. Yeah. You know, legs hurt. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Hill. <laughs> and it was just such a great reminder I'm like this is why I love running because it is such a it is a sport that so many different people can enjoy. I mean, in no other experience would I have interacted with these people from all over the world, from mm. such different backgrounds. Right. And I, I, just, I, came, I was in a strange land, and here you know, I was playing doing something that I loved, yeah, in, a, cool. in a place I was unfamiliar with, Very cool. Uh, in a route I was unfamiliar with, and I just remember thinking, this is why this is such a great sport. very cool. Yeah, so, epilogue to that story from the people from the outside. I'm glad you told that
0: because because I I knew that you had run that, but I didn't know all the I didn't know you lost a shoe. I didn't know you had to to run to the starting line all that sort of thing. I didn't know I didn't know you had to have such a hard time registering. Um, but uh, the epilogue for those of us from the outside is that, that what was the name of the the marathon half? It was like the winner. It was the winner. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. literally, it
1: was called the winner. as in like the Snickers Albany Marathon. It was the winner Jerusalem Half Marathon. Yeah. So in, in Hebrew, does winner
0: mean something different? I don't not that I'm aware of. So
1: well, there's there, there's one listener
0: I know that knows Hebrew well, and so so perhaps she will she will let us know. But um, but yeah, so 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 Patrick posted these pictures on Facebook of him uh, wearing the gear and standing in front of stuff, and it said "winner" all over it. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's like, "Wow, you went to Jerusalem and you won! That's amazing!" And he's like, "Well, you know, no, I finished fifth, which is still pretty awesome, <laughs> um, but but no, not quite the winner as it turns out." So. Uh, very cool. And now uh, I have the
1: best marathon shirt ever because really just says a, "winner" across the back. I'm like, right. I am not correcting anybody. unless us right ask.
0: Right on. Um, so, I mean, did it run over the cobbles and stuff like that? I mean, was it? Did, was it through modern parts of the city or less modern parts of the city or both? Or? Uh, kind
1: of both. Uh, I mean, you, yeah, we were running on like cobblestone roads. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in like you would run down an alleyway, mm-hmm. and so like like here we have like Adidas sponsors. Mm-hmm you know, the Boston Marathon. So Adidas, like, we're going to make this very professional. We're going to make this, like, you know, very, like, um, corporate, to some speak. There, you'd, like, run down an alleyway, and there'd just be a piece of chalk. Or, like, it'd be in chalk, like, left. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm going left. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was just very different. The cool part was, like, the final mile or so, or or maybe it was, like, mile 11, we're literally running, like, the same path as people – like who are like a mile four or five or something mm-hmm. so i'm really like weaving around these people as i'm chasing this guy I almost felt like a bond movie and then we're like ducking in an alleyway and i'm still like weaving and he was like looking back to see me right so on. it was it was a lot of fun right on. and the did, other cool did, part was did, did, did you catch him i did yes yeah. um uh the other cool part was as those of you know who run with me at this time i had a gps watch that was completely worthless i mean the <laughs> gps would We'd be 200 feet in and say we hit the mile mark. <laughs> and there it's in, all in kilometers. Like we saw right. kilometer marks. We didn't see mile markers. Right. So I was like, "The heck with these times. I mean, right. I'm just, it, I, did, I, did, I didn't feel like I was going for time. So I did the whole thing by feel. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, such a different experience. It was very almost right. freeing to know. Like th- that was one of the rare races I've ever run in my life where I wasn't going for a goal. And mm-hmm. I wasn't like, all right, I want these splits to be this. It was literally just... Chase the person in front of you and see what happens.
0: And it worked out well, which segues into to, to my next kind of big takeaway. Although I do want to say this first. I, I think Jerusalem would be a cool place to run a marathon or a half marathon. Kind of like Rome would also be a cool place to, to run a half marathon or a marathon. You know, there, there's um, an idea in academia called Orientalism. And it's this idea that, that all of these ancient places are stuck in being ancient. Mm-hmm. And so, so you go to Jerusalem and you think, oh, it's going to be, you know, people walking around looking just like they looked in Jesus time you know, right and they're gonna have camels and 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 it's not like that right you know? and so so um, but I think it would be cool to run through like Jerusalem or Rome or someplace like that um, that um, because because the modern and the ancient are, are literally on top of each other yeah um, and so so you'd be kind of running along and and. Down a cobblestone street with a chalk mark, and then you go into a different neighborhood, and there's like a big sign and fences and, like and a modern village. building, yeah, or or a McDonald's or you know or something else like that. So, um, so yeah, I think that would be kind of make, make it even more interesting, um, and you would see so much of the city, yeah, you know, uh, that's right, foot. yeah. So very cool, very cool. Well, so my next thing um, is I, I kind of started thinking about, okay, so so what are some of the big lessons I learned from 2017? And I think that, that one of them is, is frankly, a lesson that I relearned. Um, um, and it's a lesson that I've had to relearn several times throughout the course of my, my career. Um, and it's a lesson that, that strangely enough, simultaneous to my forgetting it as an athlete, I was reminding my athletes of it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Proof that that, that you, you are know. the quintessential teacher. Yeah. I mean it's just, you know. And so so um but but that lesson or that, that idea is that that if you execute the plan, the time will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Um and it kind of ties into what you were just talking about. You had no idea at the time and everything worked out just fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you simply execute your race, your training plan, and your and your race plan, the times are, are going to take care of themselves. Um, and you know, preparing for Chicago, I got so hung up on okay, what's the time going to be? What do the splits need to be? Um, you know, where do I need to be at this particular part of the race? Previewing the course, looking at the course. I mean, just kind of you know, vi- trying to visualize exactly where I was going to be all these various times, as opposed to just being like, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to run hard, I'm going to take what the day gives me. Uh, and the time's gonna take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Um and all of my best races, two a one, have been run with that in mind. Yeah. Um even the races where I went into it saying, well I want to run this particular time, um if I even if I if I didn't think about the time and I just ran, I had my best race. Mm-hmm. I mean two a one every race has been that way. Um and conversely every bad race I've ever had has been the opposite. Every bad race I've been hung up on okay, what 's my time going to be? what do my splits need to be? How am I doing relative to the way that I want to do? you know all of those, those sorts of things instead mm-hmm. um, you know the the sports psychologists talk about the flow state and talk about you know being in that place where you 're only thinking three seconds ahead um, and and I think that you can get yourself very much out of the flow state if you start thinking about uh, what the time needs to be and all that sort of thing it 's probably the easiest way to get yourself out of that flow state. And and instead, just being like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to race these people. I'm I'm oh that move is not for me. Oh this move is for me. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, staying in the moment. Um, the time takes care of itself, right? You know, um, so yeah, that that's something that the a lesson that I relearned, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, this year. And that's going to be one of the things that when I as an athlete reflect on 2017, um, will be something that, that I'm like, all right, preparing for Chicago, race in Chicago. Yeah, no need to execute the plan. Let the time take care of itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, rather than saying looking at your watch and saying, "Okay, my pace says that right. should be this," right. my oh, watch is this, so I'm yeah. going to speed it up. You oh, know? that
0: that that was too hard for this. That 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 pace shouldn't feel as hard.
1: Right. You know. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And and that I gotta say, I feel like that that's the lesson I I relearn myself over and over again.
0: Well, you know, I feel stupid at age 43 after. 25 years plus in endurance sports um, and after coaching hundreds of people Mm -hmm. to say oh yeah I'm relearning a real fundamental lesson I feel kind of dumb saying that Um, but I don't think I'm the only one who makes that mistake and I don't think I'm the only person who has to relearn that lesson over and over again Mm -hmm. you know I think it's perfectly normal for the reasons we were talking about way back when we were talking about pain and measurability and all that sort of thing in that news piece about why does it white-collar workers actually do this stuff, I think it's really easy to to, um, to say, okay, well, this is only going to be successful if I run this fast, if I run this particular time. This is what success equals. I want to have that measurable thing. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and um, that's just, yeah. You can measure it and you can reflect on it after the race. Um, you know but during the race itself if you're getting too hung up on what the time has to be in order for this to be a good race it's 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 not going to, to work out that well and I had to learn that lesson again
1: yeah and it's you know it's amazing too because a lot of times uh, we, we see our race progression or we see our training progression and it looks like this nice steady mm-hmm. line right when you kind of zoom out on your excel spreadsheet but it's very up and down when you kind of zoom in on the day to day and so it's amazing how sometimes we, we, we go into a training cycle, like, all right, I want to hit this many miles week one, and then increase 10% every two weeks, and I'm going to have this nice, like, gradual step. So it's, like, going to be this, like, nine-step program to a PR. Um, it may look like that in retrospect, but, like, when you're in the day-to-day trenches, you're constantly, like, how do I feel today? Mm-hmm. How am I doing today? Mm-hmm. And then what's the best plan for today based on how I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. it I wish it was easier or more systematic, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. Th- but in a way, that's the fun of it.
0: Yeah, I, I I think it's the fun and the frustration. Yeah, you know, and it, it it's what mo- makes it very alluring, but also me- what makes it very very frustrating at times is that you want there to be a formula, mm-hmm. and and certainly there is there is science. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's exercise science that, that that demonstrates that if you train this particular way using this particular workouts, you're good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it will it will increase the probability that you will have good results. Mm-hmm. There is such a thing as that. I mean, obviously, we're both coaches. Mm-hmm. We, we we deal in that stuff, mm-hmm. right? But but it's not this A to B to C. It's not that straightforward. There's too many intervening mm-hmm. variables such that that you can't just say, "Oh, well, I did all of these things. I ran this number of miles. I hit the numbers in this workout. Ergo, I am now going to perform at this level." Right. Um, and and yeah, that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But 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 yeah, there's there's other times <laughs> by the same token where where you're looking at your training, you're like, "Oh, okay, my goal is to run this," and you go out and you bust 2 minutes faster than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I live for those moments as an athlete, man. Mhm. So um some of my most memorable races are races where I overachieved based on what I thought I was going to do. And it's because I went into it not worrying about oh, what are my splits going to be? What are my times going to be?
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, Or bogged down by expectations to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. My final story. It actually kind of ties into the last story. Um, So I ran that race in Jerusalem, and then the man who was the head pastor of the church who who took us on that trip and kind of invited me. uh, He saw that and was like, and he actually said, "Can I run a marathon?" And I said, "Sure." And he said, "Let me, let me." I said, "Let me, let me help you out." And he goes, Well, can I do one next week? I said, No. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, y- You
0: can, but yeah. yeah, I don't know who you are. Really so, know.
1: anyways, uh, so I spent, so he-, he spent the summer or so training up for his first ever marathon, which he ran in Charlotte. And some background on him he's the head pastor of a church in Houston. Okay. So, for those of you who have been following the news yeah. this summer, uh, to say that he had some adversity would be an understatement. I mean, they had a hurricane hit their community and you know, there were several weeks where
0: they had a hurricane park over their community. Yes. And dumped 50 inches of rain. Yes.
1: Yeah. And also in the position he's in, not only he thinking about himself, his house, his family, he also had to really kind right. of look out for others and then had a kind of a network right. of churches. He was kind of um, also kind of, you know, keeping in contact with. So, you know, there were some, some kind of some interruptions in the training because um, it was like, you know, we were kind of on constant, like, text and Facebook saying, look, <laughs> we know what's more important right now. This right. is not hard to to discern here. Right. You know, this, this marathon is something we're doing for fun. You let me know how you're doing, that kind of a thing. And so I got to be honest with you, the morning of the race, he ran the Charlotte Marathon, so his first ever marathon. I said, you know, I was kind of, I didn't say it. Ex- when,
0: was that September? Was that October? Uh, November. Okay.
1: I didn't say this explicitly, but I was kind of giving a prep talk of, like, look, if you can't finish or you need to walk, like, 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 let's be safe, you know, kind of giving some, some, some precautions because you know, we just weren't, we weren't exactly sure how it was going to go. Mm. Um, and then he did it. He did fantastic. And he, so his name is Mike Stone. I don't think I've said that so far. And he's the kind of guy where no assumption is ever safe with him. Mm. I've never heard him say the phrase, well, we've always done it this way. Therefore I'll do it this way. So, like, he shows up to the race, he's wearing, like, a Walmart long sleeve tee. It's, like, in the mid-30s or so, like, a Walmart long sleeve t- tee, like, some, like, cotton mittens, <laughs> and, like, you know, he's got, like, jeans on for warm-up or something like that, mm-hmm. and he, he goes out there, he does it, and then I remember at mile 17, he was looking great, and I was like... I said, how you doing, buddy?
0: So you went up there for it. Yeah. And so I was
1: cool. like cheering him. I could see him. And about mile 17, I was like, okay, he's going to make this. Like, he's doing okay. This is going to go well. Mm-hmm. I said, how you doing? And he goes, well, this is fun, but my legs hurt. <laughs> and I think? was like, really? <laughs> you think? <laughs> you don't say.
0: <laughs> Wait, mile 17, oh, you're doing something wrong, dude. Yeah, yeah. I know.
1: And I, it was just one of the better lines I've ever heard. He said, like, well, this is fun, but my legs hurt. It's like... <laughs> That's that's good. That's good. They're supposed to hurt at this point. So, anyways, uh, all that is to say, that was one of my favorite moments. One thing I love about our sport is when you go, kind of like I was talking about with the with the Jerusalem race. When you go to a starting line or a finish line of a marathon, I just feel like just about anybody you talk to has an interesting story. Nobody has a perfect training build. Nobody is living the once a runner lifestyle where we're just training in a cabin. We all have. You know, issue or I should say issues, but um, circumstances we're having to overcome, and yet we we do it anyways. And that's just one thing I love about this sport. And I love that when you get to see somebody race a marathon, you get to see their person come out. Yeah. Like 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 Mike is one of those guys where he's very much a visionary. He kind of says, "Well, I'll start, and then I'll figure out why it was a bad idea later." Mm-hmm. You know, which is part of what makes him great. He started a great nonprofit organization here in Atlanta when he was in his early twenties. You know he decided I'm going to start a marathon not knowing anything about it, or I'm going to run a marathon knowing little about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he tends to be very understated, you know, my legs hurt, you know, but otherwise, <laughs> other than but you know, um, but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Right. Um, so that is the one thing I love about this about this sport. I mean, so that's what makes this one of the more memorable races for me for this year. I can name dozens of others of different itlers i've seen in triathlons marathons half marathons etc
0: what do you say at the finish line
1: what do you say at the finish line yeah when you say how'd it go what do you he say he, uh, he said something like uh well i'm glad that's done <laughs> and then <laughs> i said you look like you're doing okay and he, he, and he was fine he said he said you know i'm not really one for like facebook but can i put this on facebook i said dude Like, like, you did a marathon. Come on. Like, he's like, is that, like, self conceit Like, no.
0: Go ahead. You you, you might be surprised to learn, Pastor Stone, that people tend to put runs on Facebook. Yeah. But it
1: it was so funny. He's like, is that, you know, like, uh, you know, selfish? Like, no. Dude, they want to know you're safe. Like, they want to celebrate with you. Very good. So, anyways, that was mine. So, what is yours? Well, actually,
0: that sort of segues pretty well into mine. I mean, I was thinking a little bit about... um, what it was going to be. And I was trying to say, all right, inspiring performance. And I was thinking about, okay, so whose performance inspired me this year? and, and, and who do I feel like really went above and beyond and, and just went so far. And, and what I realized is I kind of started listing out contenders. Mm -hmm. Right. And I started listing out, okay, so this one, this one, you know, and, 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 and I ultimately had this really long list of performances such that, that it reminded me of, why it is, as you said, that that I really enjoy endurance sports, um, and there's so many different things about it that I, that I enjoy, um, you know, including like what I just said a few minutes ago about you know that sudden magical race that you didn't expect. Um, but but the the day to day and week to week inspirational stuff, mm-hmm. I think is probably one of the things that over the long term has sustained me as, as an endurance athlete because. People are always doing inspirational stuff. It's like par for the course in endurance sports. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and everyday
1: people too.
0: Exactly. Not and, like and,
1: politicians or you're like, okay, come on. It feels like an infomercial. Totally. Yeah. yeah,
0: totally. I mean this year, like, like I was reflecting back on I mean we had all these people PR and you know, their real estate agents and their salesmen and their full-time moms. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, we had teachers and bankers who went out and ran Boston qualifying races you know, um, uh, we had a project manager who qualified for 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 Kona. Um, we had um, a, you know, medical salesmen doing Ironmans. I mean, it's just kind of incredible that this and th- these are not small, day to day, run of the mill events. These are not like, oh, let me walk down to the mailbox. I mean, this this takes major commitment, month over month, um, to be, mm. and and to say nothing of the of the 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 blood, sweat, and tears it takes on that day. Um, and 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 regular people are doing them. All the time, mm-hmm. and 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 so it's kind of incredible. Uh, you know, there's an ITL coach who's a salesman did a 444 mile race on his bike. Um, there's a guy who works for Coke who did 50 miles yesterday. He did 50 right. miles yesterday. I mean, you know, 50 miles <laughs> on foot. <laughs> yeah, and he's just a, he's just a dude who works for Coke. You yeah. know, um, you know. Really early in the year, we had uh, a woman who's an engineer who did a marathon who was 20 weeks pregnant yeah you know, I mean, come on. are you kidding me with this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and so so I think that's one of the things that, that there, there's a degree to which we can kind of become cynical and inured to to the the, the daily amazing things that people do inside of endurance sports mm-hmm. um, and, and in reflecting on some of what I consider to be the inspiring performances of the year, that's kind of what I came back around to is that um, these sorts of inspiring things happen. Constantly, Yeah. Um, and that's so cool. hmm Yeah. yeah. And, then,
1: and to me, the daily inspiration is much more important than, like, one big victory. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's you know, the fact that they're, the folks are willing to get up, mm-hmm. put in the work, make yeah. the dedication, go to bed early. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And frankly, at the, at, at the risk of sounding a little bit elitist,
0: people outside of endurance sports don't get it. No. They don't, they don't get that.
1: You know, if if you see like it like
0: a commercial and it's like, oh, somebody's sacrificing so much, they're getting up early in order to go to the gym. It shows them hitting the alarm clock at like six thirty. It's like, are you kidding me? I know we're done by six thirty. Yeah. man. I mean, and so so yeah, it's just kind of amazing um, the, the 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 stuff that people do on a daily basis in order to to accomplish these really inspiring and
1: amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that reminds me of a story. We had a, a track meet at Emory. And I work, I work close to Emory University here in Atlanta. And I and uh, I was not planning to run. And I got a, a text at, like, 5 o'clock or so. Hey, can you be there in, like, 30 minutes? Like, we got to... And, like, it was, like, literally, like, a group of us, like, threw this together right last second. And I remember one guy, he literally came straight from work. So he had his suit hanging up in the car. And he just, like, changed in the car and had his, like, running gear. And it was almost like Clark Kent changing out of their, <laughs> you know, their usual job and then putting on the superman uniform and motoring around the track and so i I mean that to me will always kind of oh yeah stand out so to speak
0: absolutely there was a there was a great video uh, and you can find it on youtube um and i i I posted as a matter of fact uh, on halloween um because i was sitting on my front porch watching youtube videos waiting for trick-or-treaters to come Mm -hmm. around and i watched this one uh about this group of elite milers that went up to alaska with Mm -hmm. the intent of running the first sub four mile on alaskan soil Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that stands out about that video, um, is one thing is obviously the, the brilliant topography of Alaska. Um, but the other thing is how regular these dudes are, yeah. you know, and they're being interviewed and then they, then they step out on the track, like you're saying, and they, they go flying at 15 miles per hour for, for better than a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like 700 people show up to watch, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, just incredible and so cool. All right, man. That kind of wraps up our, our mm-hmm. 2017 retrospective, right? I like the note that we ended on there. Um, mm-hmm. good, good note to end 2017 and, of course, look forward to 2018. Uh, happy New Year. A couple weeks late to, uh, to everyone out there, and we appreciate your listening. Final words, Patrick? Uh,
1: no. Uh, happy <laughs> running in 2018. Let's hope for a little bit better weather. So stay warm.
0: Right on. Thanks for listening, everybody. And there you have another installment of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast. Go to our show notes, which we never do, at mostpleasantexhaustion.blogspot.com, or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Go on there, tell us what some of your favorite parts of 2017 were, or tell us some of the things you're looking forward to in 2018. Um, You can also check out the sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at itlcoaching.com, at ITL Coaching on Twitter or Facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. Finally, of course, don't forget our other sponsor, my wife, the experienced endurance athlete and now travel agent. Uh, Facebook.com slash Casey Travel Planner, M E V, or you can drop her line at Casey at Gmail.com. That's K A C I E Travel Planner at Gmail.com. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.